Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 56. Shai and I will be celebrating the first year of Business Owners Radio podcast this week. And while investing many hours in pre- and post-production time for each episode, we truly enjoy finding and speaking with great thought leaders and owners in business. Thank you all for joining us over this past year. We would also like to thank our loyal listeners and sponsors for their support and feedback that continues to grow the Business Owners Radio Network. Today we'll be talking with Bern Schroeder, author of the new book, Simply Brilliant, Powerful Techniques to Unlock Your Creativity and Spark New Ideas. Good morning, Shai. Good morning, Craig. See, Shai, when you're out talking with business owners, what are their top concerns? Well, let's see. I'd have to say probably it boils down to one of three things. They're either not growing quick enough, you know, they feel like they're stagnant, they're concerned that they can't find good people or they're not happy with the people that they have, or they don't have enough freedom and flexibility in their work to focus on what's really important. Yeah, so much of it comes down to time, but really this people item is what I see also. The challenge of almost blaming that they're not able to find highly qualified candidates, they're not able to have the right staff that they need, and some of those problems seem to be at the forefront of their needs. Yeah. And that frustration around people, you know, it's so easy to just point to the marketplace and think, what is wrong here? You know, why is it so hard to find great people? And then when you take a step back and you start looking at your own behaviors, all of a sudden that perspective shifts, right? To what is the environment that I'm creating that is not bringing out the best in the people I have? And why am I not attracting the right people? Yeah. That leadership function, as far as are you optimizing All of the assets that you have, especially the people assets, every single one of your people is a creative source. And all of those creativity capabilities amongst all the staff need to be joined together in order to meet a competition that's growing more intense and more saturated every day. You know, and that's a really important point, Craig. This idea about creativity being really valued brings up a lot of questions. You know, I was looking at the PwC annual global CEO survey from 2015, and they talked to CEOs about what are CEOs of the future? What skill set will they need? And the number one skill set, the ability to see around corners. A number of CEOs mentioned that they need to identify trends early and constantly stay ahead of the competitive landscape. And what this really boils down to is you need to be able to think creatively and you have to create an environment that allows others to do the same or you're just not going to be able to win. And our guest today has consolidated some of the best elements into a core of knowledge and capability along the lines of creativity and leadership and how to bring that into your business. Our guest today is Bernard Schroeder, author of the newly released book, Simply Brilliant. Byrne brings over 20 years of marketing and entrepreneurial experience, both as a senior partner in a global integrated marketing agency and as a former chief marketing officer on the client side. Today, Byrne is the director of the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center programs at San Diego State University, 
where he oversees all of the center's undergraduate and graduate experimental programs. He has worked with hundreds of startups in San Diego on and off campus, is a strategic advisor to several startups, as well as speaking at TEDx events. Good morning, Byrne. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Say, Byrne, congratulations on your latest book titled Simply Brilliant, being released this month. Tell us how this book evolved. You know, being at San Diego State University and working in the entrepreneurship program, I was asked uh, a few years back to design a course on creativity, and it kind of took me aback, kind of stopped me on my tracks, because even though I've got a long marketing career, I really didn't know how to teach creativity. I thought you just got yourself, you know, creative people, put them in a room and ask them to solve a problem. So I told the chair of the department that I wanted to step back and do probably more research than I'd ever done on any other course to understand how creativity could be taught. And so that's what I did. I stepped back. I did about 14 months worth of research, and I learned what other people were doing around the world. I read some books. I interviewed a director at Disney. And after accumulating all that information, I actually was somewhat surprised that I could identify a framework uh, that was starting to fall in place on how I could actually teach creativity. Bernie, I thought it was fascinating that in your book, as you explore this topic, you actually started from a foundation of how to build trust and starting from a relationship standpoint, which is not really necessarily intuitive if you're thinking about creativity. What led you to frame it that way? You know, trust is a funny thing. I've actually spoken on trust to several groups before because you can't really build an environment for either leadership or creativity unless there's some trust in the room. For example, in, in the class that I teach on the very first day, I ask for a show of hands on how many people feel they're creative. You know, not very many students raise their hand and not too many students want to volunteer the fact that they're either creative or not creative because they don't know what's going on. And after about the fifth or sixth class session, I have created such a safe zone for putting anything out there regarding creativity that they start to trust me and they start to open up about everything. And to be honest with you, I, I look back at my career and where I've achieved the most success as I've built billion-dollar companies and built my own billion-dollar company, it's when I got people to trust, you know, when they trusted me and I trusted them. And so I think there has to be a common place where you have to give people the freedom to be creative, which means the freedom to potentially fail. And they have to trust that you're going to be, you know, not an idiot as they try to solve problems because you asked them to solve a problem and trust them. So, yeah, it's interesting that you picked up on that, Chai. Not too many people understand the word trust. And most good leaders that I've met in my life, people trust them. And I really like the way that you framed it around this idea of displaying worthy intent. I'm a big fan of Speed of Trust, which, of course, is a classic book on leadership. In Speed of Trust, we talk a lot about integrity and intent. And broadcasting your intent is such a fundamental way to build trust with others. And as you said, if you can't create an environment where people can feel free to fail, then you're never going to get their best work out of them. And I know for a lot of business owners, they might hear those words, fear to fail, uh, and go, wow, that's just going to be problems for my business. But you know, at the same time, how often have we heard of an employee taking control of a situation and solving a problem with a customer, perhaps not correctly, perhaps beautifully, but what the business owner really realizes later is that he or she did not have to get involved and that this employee felt empowered to try to solve the problem. 
and it's a learning process. And it's an interesting dichotomy if you think about it from a management point of view. I want you to solve problems. I don't want to micromanage you. But then how many leaders and business owners out there end up doing just that, end up not trusting their employees, end up trying to micromanage them, where everyone's standing around and waiting for decisions to be made? It's kind of a fascinating process. I would say creativity, coming back to what you said, Shai, creativity starts at that place of leadership and trust. Otherwise, you can't create the environment for people to feel like they're on a mission to solve a problem. And how do we as business owners provide a culture and leadership needed to maximize that creative advantage? You know what's fascinating? We recently had the CEO and one of the co-founders of Stance. They're a company that was founded with a guy from Reef and a guy from Skull Candy, and they decided that they were going to explode the sock category. And he came on, on the blue camp. ocean sock market. I love yeah, it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, who would think you could create a hundred million dollar company around socks, right? But if you looked at the marketplace for socks, it's pretty boring. I won't get into that details, but that's what they saw. So they said, okay, we can enliven socks and away we go. What he came on the campus to talk about privately to about 200 students in an auditorium was the months that the five co-founders spent together talking about and framing the culture that Stance would have. And he went into great detail about how they arrived at freedom and accountability and how every single employee they hired mattered down to the point where, and they're up to, I think, about 150 employees today. If you interview with Stance, the final decision from a culture perspective is made by one of the five co-founders. That's how seriously they take culture. And so That culture is critical. And these guys managed to set up the company culture ahead of time, even before they sold one pair of socks, by agreeing on what the culture would be, because they knew they were going to build, you know, a half a billion dollar company here. And so I find it fascinating. It takes a lot of confidence and it takes a lot of leadership to step back and say, how do we want to behave? How do we want employees to behave? How do we add people to our company so that every ad we make is an accretive one, meaning it adds value, no matter the position? I don't meet very many founders that take it that seriously, and it's no surprise to me in their fourth or fifth year that they've gone over $100 million in revenue. So as business owners, we have an opportunity inside our businesses to really go to the next step and have a new culture or a new environment in which the best of the employees' capabilities can come out. What are the steps to build that? I think the first step, I think it's having the right culture. I think the second is a mentality that every single employee, no matter the position, matters to the value of the company. Because I'll hear some business owners say, oh, it's just this kind of clerk or it's just this kind of coordinator. And I remember back to when we were growing our company, And we would agonize over who to hire at an entry level because we didn't see them as entry-level employees. We saw them as mid-managers or beyond. And so I think having the idea and the intent as a business owner that this is really, really important, the culture and, and every single person so that it fits in, I think one of the most critical things is this idea of mission or journey. If you think about most business owners and you ask them what their mission is, They might tell you what they're selling, and they might tell you what their next year's objectives are, 
But it might be a little difficult for them to say, well, this is our mission. We're going to revolutionize this industry with X. And then when you take that all the way down to the employees, you stop, just walk into a store or a company anywhere and walk up to any employee and say, what's the mission of the company and what's your role in that? And a lot of times I think you're going to get a blank stare. So if I were a business owner today, I'd make it crystal clear exactly what our mission is and how we're going to get there and why every employee matters in terms of what we're trying to do to the mission. Because one of the things I've discovered in doing my research around creativity, if a team feels they're on a mission with limited resources, limited time frame, they are much more likely to be successful than if they feel like they're just on a journey or they're on a walk. Meaning, yeah, I just do this job. And they feel like there's no mission going on. And if you feel like you don't have a mission going on, your sense of problem solving and your sense of using creativity to solve the problem is non-existent. Yeah, you can really see when you talk to people in organizations like that where there is no clear course, it's sort of like the walking dead. (laughs) And by the way, I'm not talking about like some rarefied air mission that is a mission statement. Most mission statements are terrible. It's not a mission statement. An employee should be able to articulate. We make the world's strongest and lightest washers that enable planes to fly. I mean, it needs to get to that level where someone understands the important nature of what they do, and they're there to support that. And you might be saying, or business owners might be saying, yeah, but I'm in business where my employees are not going to care about that. Well, then it's on that business owner. Because if they can't create that sense of mission, then you're pretty much just going to be turning people over and it's going to become a transaction type of company that will ultimately never have a mission. And those are the kind of businesses, by the way, that when I talk to business owners, they're perpetually at two to three million and they never seem to understand why they grow. Or why they can't, right? And they're also constantly frustrated because, oh, I can't find good people. It's so hard to keep good people. That's what they say. And I'm telling you, it's not about finding what business owners call good people. It's about finding people that want to be on your mission because there's a lot you can train. There's a lot you can teach. There's a lot you can educate. But it's very hard if you don't find the right people to motivate someone to be on your mission. And, you know, Bern, another thing business owners tell us over and over again that they wish they had better people so that they had more time so that they could do other things they want to do or so they could focus on more strategic opportunities for their business. And so often their organizations rely on just one or two really key people. So the other thing that you're doing when you approach your business in the way you're describing is you're really diversifying your risk. You're diversifying it big time because what you're saying is my most entry-level employee has the potential for solving a problem. And resolving a customer issue. That means the issue doesn't escalate to your middle manager, which doesn't escalate to you. If you say, what's the number one reason that business owners don't do this? I think it's a lack of confidence. So where does this lack of confidence come from? I think it comes from the business owner not having the the true trust in their employees. It's a fascinating thing when you trust someone hard. I mean, I've played competitive sports and I've I've done some serious hiking. You need to trust other people in that environment. And what's amazing is you do. Yet when we put ourselves in a work environment, we tend to close back in on what we're comfortable with 
and not so much trust people when we don't have to. You know, we think that we can just micromanage every solution to fruition. And it's a self-perpetuating mistake. And it's why some of those companies just don't grow. It's because the entire team isn't on board. You think they are, but they're not. So let's talk about once you're able to shift your mindset and develop this notion of being able to broadcast your intent and create an environment where you've increased the trust. How do we move from there to functionally inspiring more creativity throughout the organization? You know, it's fascinating because if you can create what you just said, then I think it becomes a much more trusting environment where there's no blame game. In other words, let's say um, you and I are working at a company and the VP of sales comes in and and his or her face is down and, and I go, hey, what's up? And they go, oh, you know, sales is down. And right away, you and I jump to a conclusion, right, in a non-trusting environment that says, ah, sales are down. The sales team sucks. Instead, we say, well, you know what? Let's get some people in a room and let's look at why sales is down, right? So we get a bunch of people in a room and we start to analyze the problem. And we say, well, why are sales down? Well, we didn't hit our revenue objective. Why didn't we hit the revenue objective? Well, because we ran out of inventory. Well, how did we run out of inventory? Well, we made the decision months back to go with one vendor based on price. And that vendor had a problem and so delayed shipment. I go, oh, so the real problem isn't sales are down. The real problem is we're relying on one vendor. So we need to get back into a multi-vendor relationship and that's how we're going to solve this problem. Now, creatively, how can we do that? And so that's a very simple example of how the environment you have to create where people aren't like ready to blame everyone but look at, for the real problem as opposed to the symptom and then put the right people in the room, agree on what the real problem is. Most people will go into a room and start brainstorming with no real objective and no real understanding of the real problem. I mean, one of the things I do in my class when I give the students a problem, I make them spend the first 10 to 15 minutes in their groups simply identifying the problem. Yeah, and I'm sure that could be very powerful because our tendency is to just jump right ahead to different ways to solve it, right? That's how we're wired. Unless you come up and been mentored by really good people and have a good mentor network where you don't always jump the gun, right? Something happens and the tendency of a small business owner is to immediately react. In the small business owners and founders that I coach, when they call me up and they're almost out of control in terms of what they're explaining, I'm like, hey, 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 do me a favor. And they're like, what, what? And I go, go for a walk, you know, settle down for a minute, go for a walk, clear your head. And when you can call me back without any emotion, then we can have a conversation about what's really the issue here. And you got to have somebody in your life as a mentor that calms you down and forces you to become more clinical and less emotional about what's really going on. Because the less emotional you behave, especially with employees, I mean, it's okay to be pumped up and passionate, but it's not okay to be overreactive and screaming at people. And so the more that they see you calm in a real problem environment, even if your mind is falling apart, but your outward appearance is calm, the more the employers are like, ah, he's calm. He's looking at a solution. He's analyzing what's going on. Then the more that they'll kind of emulate that behavior. It's so true. I mean, they're, they're only going to make it as big a problem as you decide to make it, right? And so many business owners think that the employees are studying them 
And if this is a big problem, then they should have an emotional reaction, right? And it's almost like, and I don't want to necessarily want to use this analogy, but it's almost like a battlefield analogy. I mean, how many movies have we seen, you know, war movies especially, where the battle is raging on and the crazy sergeant that everybody loves is just walking around, nice and calm, bullets are flying, mortars are going off, and he's just saying, do this over here, move that over there, call this guy over here and do that, pull back over here. And you're just like, who the hell behaves like that? And then you realize all of us should behave like that. (laughs) That's such a great example of leadership. If you were starting up in a new area of business, would you have an example of how that might flow out? So I deal with a lot of students on the campus that walk in and that have ideas for potential companies. And I probably mentor about 20 founders who've created startup companies in the marketplace. You know, I remember a couple of ex-students coming up to me and saying that they were looking at creating a company, but they didn't quite know how to go about creating the business model or framing it up. And uh, they were probably both 26. They'd had experience, one in hospitality, one in the pet industry. And so I don't know why, but personally, I've been following the pet industry for years. I guess it's because I had a pet and I was shocked that this industry through recessions just continues to grow. And so long story short, the idea that they were focused on a pet industry was interesting to me. So over a period of about six weeks, I put the two founders, myself, and maybe four other people that I brought in for different reasons in a room. And we started to clinically, not emotionally, we started to clinically tear the pet industry apart. We looked at the trends, we looked at the customer segments, and we just studied what people were doing, what people were buying in the pet industry. And we came up with probably five different opportunities. And when we looked at the five opportunities, we started to look at them from a red ocean and blue ocean point of view. And if you're familiar with blue ocean strategy, a red ocean is one where you're competing with a lot of competitors and usually on price. And a blue ocean is the new place in the market where there aren't a lot of competitors just yet. And you don't compete necessarily on price initially. You compete on something else. And so going through this kind of creative process over about six weeks, we just identified and completely analyzed the opportunity for organic, natural dog food. And then we started to brainstorm around what's the business model. And we came up with, you know, we're not going to go to retail. We're not going through distribution. We like the subscription model. We're going to outsource the manufacturing because we don't want to own the inventory of the food. We just want to be the marketing front end, again, to leverage risk. So I would say after about six weeks, on paper, we'd crafted a business model around an opportunity in the pet industry for organic and natural dog food to be delivered via subscription model to the house that we kind of studied a number of different ways and then just kind of leaned back and said, this is a slam dunk. This market is forecast to grow to three billion in the next ten years from thirty million. Like, why aren't you going to do this? And so they ended up doing this exactly. They created the company out of Los Angeles, and in their third year, they'll do six million dollars this year. And again, they did not come to me initially and say, "Oh, this is exactly what we want to do." They said, "We think there's something going on in the pet industry. Can you help us study it and examine it?" And I kind of use the same process that I use in my classroom and using the framework just as a tool. It's not a panacea. It's a tool. But it's a very good tool in a sense of calming people down 
and not allowing emotion to come into play. So everything that we uncovered, we had to go do research, either gathering industry, marketplace, or trend data that would support where we were arriving. This isn't like a gut thing. We just gut came up with it. So that's one example of how I took a group of potential founders through the process in the same way, quite honestly, that I take my class through the process. You know, Bernard, it's so interesting. I spend a lot of time in this space as well. And the typical starting point is the idea. (laughs) I know that you know this well, right? Everybody wants you to validate their idea for them. And, you know, that always starts with, okay, uh, am I your, your target customer? Because if I'm not, it's kind of irrelevant for me for me to discuss your idea. And I actually don't even care about your idea, right? You quickly want to move to what is the problem you're trying to solve and for who? And is it even an attractive market in the first place? And so I really like this notion of starting with it, uh, like you said, in, in a little more of a clinical way to say, hey, there are things about this industry that are attractive, first of all. And second of all, we think there might be some problems here. And how can we solve those problems? How can we validate those problems are real? You know, it's funny. Whenever I have students walk in the center and tell me they have an idea, I always tell them I don't want to hear it. I tell them to describe the marketplace to me, describe the trends, describe the competition, and ultimately to describe the problem, right? And if they can't do that, I tell them to go away and come back when they can do that. And in a polite way, I do the same thing with some business owners that I work with in the community. They are almost suffering from innovators' dilemma where you try to protect or defend what you created, what made you successful to the date. And I try to push business owners, you know, push back on them a little bit and say, okay, what do you actually make and what do you do? When was the last time you stepped back and said, if you twisted one of your parts sideways, would it fit a complete different industry? Are you even noticing the trends that are coming up around you in your industry that maybe you could deliver another product to the same customer base, right? And a lot of times, their face is up against what I call the business glass that they can't even see what's going on anymore. They're just reacting to what's happening in the marketplace. So yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I use the same kind of, I don't want to call it rudeness <laughs> with the people that I coach, but I'm really direct. And I like to think of it more as candor myself. Okay, Bernie. <laughs> I, let's the word candor. But I literally will say to a, a CEO who's running a $5 million company that you are just completely clueless. Like, are you looking at what's occurring in industry? Like your margins are being eroded, your foundation is slipping, and you're sitting there saying that you're going to make a go of it. A step back, look at everything you're doing, look at what's actually occurring in the marketplace. You know, when was the last time you talked to 10 customers? And they'll look at me and go, what do you mean talk to 10 customers? I'm like, yeah, just talk to 10 customers. They're like, but I talk to them every day. I go, no, you're solving problems. You're returning emails. You're doing this. You're not having a conversation. And so I go out and talk to 10 customers and they tell me everything I need to know. And I'm like, wow, why hasn't the business owner done this? This is ridiculous. We become creatures of habit and repeating things we do. And it's the definition of insanity, right? I know some business owners that will do the same thing again and again and again, and they hope for a different outcome. It's not going to happen. And so, again, my advice to them, get a really good peer group of mentors. You need to have someone you can talk to that you trust that's been there before. You don't have to solve it all yourself. No one said because you created a company that you're the smartest person in the world. So surround yourself with other smart people. Yeah, Bern, and I would add, that having good frameworks and an easy way of understanding things and breaking them down can really help you create that environment to make that change. And it's ultimately your behavior change that can make huge differences in the outcomes for your company. 
I'm a real fan of Carol Dweck's research at Stanford and, and anyone's research on growth mindset. And if I'm a business owner today, the one thing I'm committed to is continuing to grow myself, grow my education, grow my knowledge, grow my perspective, grow my experience, and then take that same philosophy. And as I look at my employees, I need to say to myself, am I growing these employees as well? Because you can't be a leader of a company and not think that that's not critical, right? That you're going to improve yourself as you go along. You don't stand still in time. You have to keep moving forward. And I think anyone that wants to understand how they can make themselves a better leader should do some research into a growth mindset. Well, Byrne, it's been great having you on the show today. Hey, I appreciate being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? You know what? I think I'd like to leave three things because I work with a lot of business owners and I've been a business owner and I know what it's like when you're running a company and your belief is that it's all on you and that you're facing the pressure of people being hired, their livelihood, you know, getting your cash flow in order, paying the bills, paying employees. I get it. I absolutely get it. But you chose to be there and it's all good. I would say there's three things that business owners should be really committed to. And I think the first one is not in a dictatorial way, but in a commutative and repetitive way. Every employee in the company needs to understand the integral mission of the company because that will affect everything they do, right? And they have to believe in it. I think the second thing is you need to hire every single employee for the company with this sense that everyone needs to feel they can be creative in how they solve problems or take advantage of opportunities. And I think the last thing is what I said a few minutes ago, that you have a real commitment to a growth mindset, both in yourself and in your employees. You know, you're doing little workshops in the company. You're encouraging people to continue to go to trade show seminars and other places where they can gather information. You're constantly reading and and you're encouraging. You're dropping books off with your employees. You have someone in customer service. you, You drop off good to great. You drop it on their desk and they look up at you and you look at them and you go, because you're going to be great, you know, and you give them the knowledge on what it takes to do what they need to do in order to make the whole thing successful. And when employees see you leaning in and caring about their continued education and the growth of their capabilities, then you're definitely going to fuel this growth mindset in the company. And that's one that just kind of takes care of itself over time because of that belief. So that's what I would say to business owners. These aren't things that you need to spend a lot of money on, but those are three things that if I were running a small company, I would start to adopt. Our guest today has been Bernard Schroeder author of the new book, Simply Brilliant, Powerful Techniques to Unlock Your Creativity and Spark New Ideas. You can learn more about Byrne along with finding links to his books and business articles on LinkedIn, all on our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by alignedforbusiness.com. That's aligned, the number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. 
tell your fellow business owners about the show. And, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.